With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash ProFootballFocusNFL. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce the launch of my new podcast, Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls, and guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast, every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on PodcastOne.com. It's not what you have, it's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like the bar, like the ball season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in, PFF NFL Podcast. Steven Sam here. How we doing, buddy? 
Doing good, Steve. How about you? I'm getting hit actually by hay fever at the moment. This I went out in the deck this morning. Pollen hay is fever. everywhere. Yeah, the and pollen's suddenly bad. I've been hit with it. I'm not. I don't normally get it over here. You don't get it over in your area. I mean, Cincinnati no, 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 gets no, it like bad in the U.S. Yeah, Cincinnati's uh, bad when it comes to allergies. In case you were wondering, we're in the valley, something like that. It's just, it's not good. It's not good here. Mm. It's also, um, it's not good. Like in this time of you know COVID nineteen and sort of going out with masks all over you and you know avoiding the infection. Like you drop a sneeze now in a crowded supermarket, you're going to get some looks that weren't there before. Yeah, I've, uh, I think I coughed in line at a grocery store one time. I got some really mean looks for a cough yeah um, but you're at least you know you've got that thing of like someone's gonna you cough someone turns around and takes a look at you about to hurl some abuse in your direction then thinks twice about it because yeah. you're seven foot tall you got that working for you um i've made some mistakes during quarantine though oh yeah and i've run I, i've run into some interesting grocery store situations so one time i i left my cart to go get something else to go get something i come back and i put it in someone else's cart and i put my hands on it to go <laughs> push it and she looked the she was not intimidated by me sam this woman gave me this death stare like what are you doing and i like very easily took my pasta or whatever i put in there and put it into my cart apologized and then the rest of the day she would pull her cart around the grocery store rather than pushing it Mm. Um, and then i also had a guy very early in quarantine try to uh give me a fist bump huh just not a guy I didn't know. I've never had someone offer a fist bump in a grocery store, and this guy decided to do it during uh, quarantine season. So that I thought was odd, and I gave him a look like, what are you doing, dude? No, I'm not giving you a fist bump out of nowhere. Random guy I don't know. Have you resorted to like a, an alternative to the, the handshake fist bump? Are you, are you an elbow man? or the Elbow, Bash Brothers, yeah. Uh, okay. The Bash Brothers were forearms, and I've done like the, the elbow touch before. Yeah. And then just like a little point. Yeah. I mean, I, I, head I, nod. I'll just, you know, wave at you. I'm not, yeah. I don't need touch. I don't need the contact. I can. Yeah. You, know, you don't seem like a touchy feely, not a touchy feely type of guy, are you? Well, at the point uh, where it's, you know, dangerous, like I don't need it that much. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I hear you. That's good. Um, anyway, let's get into uh, we've got an all underrated team. We're going to do it. We did. We had a. Uh, an all underrated piece go up on pff.com but this is the pff nfl podcasts all underrated team the other day we did our all average team you guys can check that out from uh, the tuesday podcast today we're going to go all underrated and um you know again i think it depends on your perspective who's rating them uh what's the are we going based off perception are we going based off of what fans think what um you know what the consensus thinks uh so yeah we're gonna we're gonna go position by position and do that and then we'll uh Hit some questions. Sound good? Yeah, and some cool things to tease out. Next week, we'll have the PFF 50. Um, For anyone that doesn't know, for anyone that's new, we do the PFF 101 every year, and that's like the 101 best players from the season that just was. The PFF 50 is like the 50 best players in the NFL right now. So not tied to, you know, how good their performance was last year. But basically, if if the season starts tomorrow, here's who we expect the 50 best players in the league to be. So we're working on that list right now. We'll have that locked. Uh, we actually need to get that locked today. Um, and oh, then yeah. next week, the list will be done. It will be up on the website, and we'll talk about it on the podcast. And the other thing to tease out is, you know, we've mentioned this this Randy Moss um, 
show, this uh, the oral history <coughs> series we're working on, the Randy Moss episode is the first one to go. That's getting pretty close to completion right now. I'm really excited about that. And if you hang on to the end of this podcast, we'll actually play you out with a little uh, little teaser of that show. So I'm excited that that, awesome. is, that that is at least on the horizon now as opposed to just you know an idea that we're working on in the background. The teaser is pretty cool. I, I, is it too early to tease? Because we don't know when these things are dropping. I mean, no, nah, we've up. already talked about it a little bit. All right. Well, uh, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited about where that thing's going to go and some of the work that we're going to have put in that we will continue uh, to put in. It's not that easy either, we found out. We won't get into specifics, but sometimes, you know, you think of a topic and you yeah. have some people lined up and then some things happen and the people aren't lined up anymore and you just you never know what's going to happen. As, things, you know, as, we, yeah. as we fake being reporters here for these I mean, uh, think about research people have pieces. to deal with this on a regular basis. You know, we're just moonlighting yeah. at this. This is people's actual jobs. You get a guy on the, you get a guy scheduled for an interview and then, you know, things happen and he's not available for an interview anymore. Like within the hour of the interview. It was amazing. Anyway, at the hour um, of the interview. <laughs> let's get into the all underrated team. We'll go position by position, starting with quarterback it's an interesting position to say all underrated because it depends again what's the angle you're taking here quarterback is a position where there's not a consensus on players but you pretty much have an idea like when you mention a name almost everybody's going to say this guy's really good good middle of the pack or you're you're indifferent there'll be some debates and everything but how do you what are your thoughts on underrated quarterback in today's NFL? I think it kind of has to be Matt Ryan, doesn't it? I mean, he always seems to be – the perception on him always seems to be a little bit weaker than, I think, how he's actually playing. Um, and even, you know, I get, he had that one sort of MVP caliber season. But outside of that, it always seems to be this, like, he's not really up there with the top quarterbacks in the NFL. We're always looking for the – you know, whether it's Brady Breeze, whether it's Rodgers – um, Russell Wilson, now this new breed of Mahomes, of Lamar Jackson. Like we just Nobody ever talks about Matt Ryan. He just consistently goes around being really good, but perhaps never quite you know, the best quarterback in the NFL. And because of that, like even, even guys like Matthew Stafford, I think, get significantly more love out there than someone like Matt Ryan, which always that's feels a, off. That's a good point. I, I so that's anecdotal, right? Because yeah. we live on football Twitter and you just you feel like there's more Stafford love than Matt Ryan love. Um, and I don't know if it's because Matt Ryan slightly raised expectations because he has been consistently good and people want him to be at that next level. But again, I think when you look at the top eight to 10 quarterbacks over the over the last 10 years, very consistently, Matt Ryan is in that group. And there's a reason why. What was he the fifth quarterback off the board? in the uh, all decade 101. So that was where like at any given point, he's in the top eight, but over the course of that 10 years, you know, he's in the, he's in the top five. I mean, Russell Wilson probably surpasses him, but uh, now, but I think the body of the, while they've both been in the league, it's been pretty close between Matt Ryan and say Russell Wilson and say Ben Roethlisberger in that tier of quarterback. So I, I think he's a fair, I think he's a fair case for, uh, for most underrated. Um, I'll give you one more name just cause I'm writing an article about him right now. Um, it's probably Baker Mayfield. Like I think people are going oh overboard just be just based on last year. It's 
there's a huge amount of recency bias in everything in football, right? And the last thing we saw from Baker Mayfield is the worst thing we've seen from Baker Mayfield. 2019 is the worst year we've seen from him. Like, not just in the NFL, but the NFL and college. Last year was his worst year playing football, dating back to at least high school, and probably ever. Um, So that's the last thing we saw. That's the thing we think he is. Like, if you put last season in any other year of his career... we would be thinking about him completely differently. Like if it happened as a rookie, the narrative is different. If it happened middle, middle through his college career, it's, it's nothing. We've forgotten about it by now. Um, And that's before you get to the fact that I think even how bad it was is kind of overblown. Like statistically it was worse than it actually was when you go through and sort of quantify it on a play by play basis and look at, you know, where things deviated from the stats so I just think generally right now the narrative is a little bit too negative on Baker Mayfield. Now, I know that, you know, PFF is kind of tied to Baker. We would be we would say that, right? But I think it's yeah, still true. Yeah, you would true. say that, Sam. Of course you would. <clears throat> Can I so I've been writing this and I was like, look, we're everybody knows we're sort of tied to Baker because we were the first people out there pushing for him as the number 1 overall pick that year, right? We had that way ahead of anybody else. And we felt this degree of vindication when the Browns eventually took him number one. Then he has this rookie season that's like a record-setting year. And it's like, huh, see, we, we told you. We had it right. And then last year happens, and it kind of all starts to unspool in front of us. And everyone's like, well, you guys, you know, it's, it's your bias, right? It's in your interest to push the Baker thing. And they're like, well, I, on the surface, I agree. It does look like it's in our interest to back that up and to keep pushing this idea that Baker is better than people think he is. But there are reasons why that isn't true, right? One, we have a pretty extensive like system of checks and balances that makes it so that that isn't possible to happen, right? There, no one guy's sort of unconscious bias can keep skewing towards giving guys like Baker the constant positive to, to reinforce that. Two, we have 32 pretty significant NFL contracts that incentivize us not to do that, right? Because if we do that for one guy trying those- to make... Those are worth way more financially for the company than a little bit of public perception about right. getting a player right. And if we do that for one guy and skew positive on this guy, any one of those 32 teams, including the one for whom we're doing it, can take a look at those grades, accuse us of that bias, and suddenly massive contracts are in jeopardy. So there's right. a pretty healthy financial reason that incentivizes us not to do that. And, and three, if you just look throughout like our landscape of hits and misses with the draft, like we've very quickly changed our opinion on guys where we just blew it, right? Mitchell Trubisky is a perfect example. It would have been in our interest to say Trubisky's actually turning it around and to skew positive on his narrative. And yet even when the, when the stats, when the box score numbers were saying he was in the ascendancy, we were saying, guys, no, 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 this is not good. He's bad. And like, this is going to come back down to earth. So if anything, we were skewing, we were fighting against a narrative that would have been our, in, a, in our interest to embrace if this sort of bias was at work. So I know it looks obvious that like, hey, people, uh, PFF loved Baker as a college prospect. They're going to ride this train until it's dead. It's just not the way we work here. Yeah, I mean, I agree. All right. I can't believe you're writing an all underrated piece or whatever on baker mayfield but not, that's fine i'm writing a general like what his outlook should look like next year piece and it just a oh, lot it of be, it is positive 
Yeah. But I'm, I'm also including the negative in there as well, because what we saw last year was concerning. I'm just right. saying that if, you know, there's a lot of, I think generally the perception is it was a total and complete disaster. And it, it wasn't like it wasn't that bad. All right. So Matt Ryan is our all underrated quarterback. Let's go to running back. And speaking of the Browns, Nick Chubb. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's fair as well. I think there's a pretty good good argument that Nick Chubb is the best running back in the NFL. And I don't know that anybody else would ever tell you that. Like, it'll be Christian McCaffrey. It'll be Saquon Barkley, Zeke Elliott. Like, Chubb's grades are absurd. And when you put on the tape, like, those grades don't come out of thin air. You just put on the tape and watch what he's doing. Like, his play has been insane. The only thing preventing him from being seen as the best running back in the NFL is the use, is how relatively little he's been given the opportunities that a Christian McCaffrey or a Saquon Barkley or Zeke Elliott has had. Um, So yeah, I think he's, he's the guy. Chubb's career has been fascinating because I always, I always point back to the first time I really saw him uh, on a college field. It was 2014. It was right when we started doing college grading. I think it was week one week two. I think it was against Clemson. And this is a Clemson team that put a lot of players into the NFL. And Todd Gurley was on that team for, for Georgia. Todd Gurley had a good game. Nick Chubb comes in late, and he had a great game. Like, Nick Chubb looked like an NFL running back as a true freshman. He reminded me early of just, like, a bigger Maurice Jones-Drew. I know every short running back who breaks a few tackles gets this Maurice Jones-Drew comp. But for me, I looked at Nick Chubb. I was like, he can catch the ball. He can make people miss, and people just bounce off of him. Um, he really had it all as a runner, and then – uh, slowly got he got injured and he just slowly very slowly got back to full speed so by the time he was a senior he started to look like he, he still never really looked as good as he was as a true freshman even in his senior year when he kind of got you know his legs under him again um, so Nick Chubb kind of got worse you know just because of the injuries throughout college and then he stepped in in the NFL and kind of looked like true freshman Nick Chubb and it's funny because I think running back it's such a unique position that we, t- we talk about running backs all the time. That's probably the only position where it's okay to say you look like you did as a true freshman. Like every other position, like if you ever said that about an offensive lineman, that was probably 50 pounds ago and a lot of strength ago. Like most players, like a true freshman running back has as good of a shot of going to the NFL and making an impact as any other position, right? Just because um, not just the replaceability of the position, but they kind of are what they are. A lot of times as a true freshman, every other position needs some sort of strength development and all this other stuff, right? Mental development, the running back can just, you know, take it, run to space and go. Um, so it's like the only position where you could say, hey, he looks like he did as a true freshman and it's actually a compliment. And that's that's how I look at Nick Chubb. Yeah, I mean, I think injuries derailed his college career, obviously. And I think the underrated thing started then because the idea that him versus Sony Michelle was I mean there was a big debate coming out and a lot of people favored Michelle I thought that Chubb was a significantly better running back coming out based off that final year where he was starting to get back to the player that you saw right away I think obviously another year under his belt got him even closer back to, or if not all the way back to that guy but that guy is clearly a better running back than Sony Michelle even though Michelle might have you know a bit more straight line speed or whatever one person in the comments asked about Derek Stingley. He was the true freshman corner at LSU. He might be one of the exceptions to the rules. He rule. He is. He looks like an NFL corner as a true freshman. That doesn't happen often. I was speaking very generally at, at position wise. Every now and again, you get like Derwin James could have been an NFL safety. I think as a true freshman, Derek Stingley at corner. Those are absolutely 
uh, more outlier than than the norm, though. Uh, let's go on to wide receiver. You wrote, you wrote down a few names here, starting with Keenan Allen. You think Keenan Allen's underrated? I think he probably still is. Um, again, he's one of these. He's a bit like Matt Ryan in terms of he's perennially in that he's perennially at the top of the tier right behind the guys that are the very best in the NFL. And that conceptually, I think, is an area of guys that tend to be underrated, like across the board. If you're if you're never going to be seen as the very best of your position, but you're like the top of the next group, you just, I think, always get slightly underrated. So do you know, ev- do you know why he's underrated, though? Because no. he ran a four seven. OK, because he ran one four seven and people still think he's slow because he had a knee injury. He's not yeah. a four seven guy. It's just he not isn't. what he is. On the other hand, he he isn't a deep threat. Like a legit, he's quicker like, than so fast. Like yeah, I, the I, it's not. I think the, the like the analysis of him is like not a very very top receiver. Like he's not in a Julio Jones category. I think that part is fair. I just think this idea that if you're in that next tier at the top of it, you're always perennially kind of overlooked. It was interesting when Timo uh, PFF Moo on Twitter when he dove into the. Uh, Michael Thomas stuff. You know, Michael Thomas gets this criticism of he can't go deep. He's only an underneath guy. But it's a it's a usage pattern thing. The Saints just don't throw at him deep. When they do, he's really productive. Um, if there's a receiver who might not actually be able to go deep, at least overall, it's Keenan Allen. Like he, even when he's going, when he runs deep routes, does not get the ball thrown his way, suggesting that he's not open. When that's happening, like Keenan Allen might legitimately have a like a missing gap, a missing part of his game as a receiver, but he's still one of the top three right runners in the NFL. He gets consistently open. He's ridiculously productive. He is really good. So that's like Doug Baldwin. I mean, because when when your best skill is like getting off press and getting open, it does get a little underrated unless you're getting fed a zillion targets. So I could see that. Who else you got? On this list, DJ Moore, um, DJ Moore, how, what he did last year, given the quarterback situation in Carolina was kind of amazing. And not just I, it, it's one of those ones where, again, the stats match up with the grades, right? His grade was really good at PFF. The statistics are really quite good, given the quarterback situation around him. I don't know if people have fully appreciated what he's done so far, um, given what he's had throwing in the ball. Yeah, I think, yeah. He's a he's a good answer there, right? And it, I think when you look at Carolina and their receiving core, I think there's this perception that Carolina might be looking at the number one pick next year. I think that receiving core might make it really difficult with uh, with DJ Moore there, with what they've done with Curtis Samuel, of course, with McCaffrey uh, catching the ball out of the backfield, valuable or not, and adding uh, Robbie Anderson there, right? So I think the the receiving core and the underrated nature of DJ Moore and his production, like you said, with uh, uneven quarterback play is really impressive. And the other name that you wrote down here too, was Jamison Crowder. And I like that because Sam, you know what, when we've evaluated slot players through the years, they are tough to decipher a receiver in general is a difficult position, right? We've talked about how, how do you separate this four, two speed guy versus that four, two speed guy? Like what's the difference? Is it getting off press? Is it ball skills? I mean, yeah, it's a combination of all those things. But we've run into a million slot receivers who on any given route, oh, that looks like Wes Welker. He's going to be the next great Wes Welker, 150 target guy. And Jamison Crowder has actually shown when he's on the field, he can be that guy. He is that shifty, short, 
area quick. Um, you, you want him up to 10 yards. You know, you can work up to the 15 yard range really, really well. We've seen other guys with similar skill sets not produce at a similar level as as a Jamison Crowder. Like what separates these receivers who look very similar? Well, from a production standpoint, Crowder has has separated himself. He's done well. Yeah, and part of it is um, part of it is just use, right? Like, I think one of the things that makes it difficult to separate the the slot receivers is. Whereas if you're playing outside and you're a really good receiver, you're going to get open, you're going to separate against whatever coverage is out there, and you're essentially going to demand extra targets because of that, right? Like people have sort of drawn up these um, charts to show that target separation doesn't correlate with um, fantasy points, right, uh, or production. But that's targeted receivers, right? Targeted re- what, what separation does is get you the targets in the first place. It doesn't right. necessarily dramatically increase your chances of catching the ball at the other end of it but it does get you the target in the, in, in the first place but if you're working the slot if you're working from inside those are way more heavily dependent on the scheme and whether that offense is is looking to attack those specific routes than it is like oh that guy's a little bit more open than your typical slot receiver so we're going to throw the ball their way so i think what separates a lot of these guys is that they're just not in offenses that are willing to Uh, take advantage of that for whatever reason obviously the patriots for years have had a heavy dose of that style of receiver whether it was wes welker julian edelman danny amandola like they've wanted that option within the offense there are other systems out there that don't that just don't care like they can have wes welker like wes welker wouldn't have been wes welker in 80 percent of nfl offenses they just wouldn't have used him enough for it to be for anyone to care um but i think that's it's very i think that's the main point Sorry, I think that's the main point, and that's the truth, right? Because everybody talk, we always talk about copycats, and you know, it's an innovators league and all that stuff. In 2007, the Patriots kind of changed the game, right? They ran their spread offense as their base offense, not not all the time, but early early downs, they're running shotgun and three wide and peppering targets to uh, to Wes Welker. And I think people thought that was going to become a trend, and other teams looked for that shifty slot. Now, other some teams went with a different style slot receiver, you know, the big guys, the Marcus Colston's of the world. But um, I remember seeing like Danny Amendola when he was with the Rams thinking Sam Bradford, short area accuracy. This, this is, this is a perfect match together. Right. And it, and it wasn't, you know, it, it just, it just never really came together. And Amendola wasn't really a productive NFL receiver until he went to new England with the quarterback and the system that would feature him. So yeah, there's, there's really only a handful of systems that will feature that guy enough for it to be um, extremely valuable. And I think, you know, Crowder is one of those guys that can be a higher volume uh, target type of guy. His uh, like data set on sort of third down as well is also pretty absurd. Like his, yeah. he's been this incredible, like clutch conversion tool for the jets. Um, and, and, it, for- and by the way, even though when we, our off season jets analysis has generally skewed, like, ah, there's a lot of question marks, but we also a couple of weeks ago, we laid out what's that best case scenario, right? And that best case scenario is the old line coming together and a few of those receivers just being consistently productive on paper. It's still not a great receiving core, but Brashad Perryman, Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder, and maybe if a little bit of Josh Doxon could be good, like there is a scenario where that that works out, including with yeah. Crowder being a big part of it. 
he was also doing that in Washington before. And again, like even just the fact that they didn't necessarily keep him around, the fight to keep him around suggests underrated, you know? Yep. Uh, let's go to tight end because I think this one, this one fascinates me because I think we talk a lot on here about like strength of position around the league. We've mentioned a million times about there's a, there's a lot of good quarterbacks around. I think the NFL has not a whole lot of good tight ends right now. And there's a guy in Philadelphia who's the number two tight end, who I think is the number one tight end for 15 to 20 teams around the NFL, if not more. And he's the only guy. Uh, it's one of, uh, shoot, now who is it? Him and Kittle? Him and Kittle are the only guys that are top 10 receiving and run blocking. I think last year or over the last two years. We just, we just tweeted this this week. It's Dallas Goddard <laughs> with the Eagles. All that to say Dallas Goddard, all underrated. And I think it's only because he has Zach Ertz sitting ahead yeah. of him on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, the, somebody, I, the NFL or one of these Twitter accounts tweeted out like this array of Eagles weapons all of a sudden. Um, not really all of a sudden. It's like, you know, we gave them the number one receiving core last year before they all got injured. I mean, all those guys yeah. are pretty much back. So, and they've added a Jalen Rager, et cetera, to it. So, of course, you know, but they showed all these weapons. And it's like, and it, do it doesn't even include a guy like Dallas Goddard, right? Who is, as you say, he's a top quality tight end on a bunch of teams, but he's buried on, not buried, but he's lower down the totem pole on this depth chart because of the amount of players they have and the, the options they have to throw the ball. It, it just because, I mean, he was one of the reasons why we put the Eagles at number one from a yeah. weapon standpoint. And we went and said our reasoning last year was they had a variety of skill sets. They had Deshaun Jackson stretching the field. You had Alshon Jeffrey. You had Nelson Aguilar, who we thought had been rejuvenated in the slot. You had Zach Ertz, who's one of the best possession receiving tight ends. And then Dallas Goddard as the next tight end who can stretch the field and run block a little bit. But like from a weapon standpoint is a good pass catcher. So uh, we had Dallas Goddard as a first round caliber tight end a couple years ago. He went in the second round and he just happened to go to a team that likes to use two tight ends. But he is the second best tight end or it's the number two tight end from a depth chart perspective on Philadelphia. So I mean, the numbers underrated. with him and Ertz are amazingly similar, right? Obviously, Ertz has had more volume last season you know 128 targets versus 78 targets but the pff receiving grade is very very similar 79 versus 76 um goddard was a little bit of a blocker if any a better blocker at the, than earth so his overall grade is a little bit better but 10.5 yards per reception versus 10.4 um the Pass rating is basically the same, 101.8 versus 101.6. Like, they were very, very similar players in terms of production, in terms of ability. The only real difference is that um, Goddard had double the amount of yards after the catch per reception. Like, he was way more of a threat once he caught the ball than Ertz was. And I think even just watching them, that makes sense anecdotally, right? Ertz has kind of lost that ability to make real plays after the catch. He's more of a, a route runner, get open, catch the ball. Um, kind of deal, whereas Goddard was getting more of those uh, plays with some run after the catch space. I want to see this year with the Eagles. They just spent the entire offseason trying to get faster. Uh, mm. I did. I listened to all of their post-draft press conferences and all that stuff. They talked about it over and over again. Like this was the priority to get faster on both sides of the ball to get more athletic. I want to see if Dallas Goddard steals some of the targets from Zach Ertz this year, right? If they are that uh committed to it and you've got some speed receivers on the outside do you try to stretch 
the middle of the field a little bit more because that's Goddard's area. Ertz is really good at what he does, but Goddard certainly has more field stretching ability. And given what the Eagles are trying to do, could be the year that he really breaks out here. Uh, let's move to the offensive line and at offensive tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, only because he just can't make a Pro Bowl, right? I mean, that's <laughs> it immediately has to put Mitchell Schwartz there. We put Mitchell Schwartz and Anthony Costanzo uh, from the Colts, and I think I think those both fit. All he is making both all good. pros, though. I, I think his lack of Pro Bowl is more an indictment of the farcical system that is the Pro Bowl right now than it is like an actual indication that he's underrated. Like he's he's making an all-pro team every year that he doesn't make the Pro Bowl, which suggests that the Pro Bowl system is just broken. Um, I, I will also say I just think inherently every right tackles on every good right tackles underrated from Lane Johnson yeah. to Mitchell Schwartz I mean, to like um, uh, Zach Streif back in the day with the Saints like every right tackles underrated because they don't play the flashy but everybody you both a lot of fans could probably name eight left tackles before they name one right tackle and I think that's just the nature of the position that's fair I think you can also make a legitimate case now that Schwartz isn't just the best right tackle in the NFL you can make the argument that he's the best tackle period in the NFL like he is I think on a playoff run oh the playoff run is the playoff run was one of the best postseason runs at any position in NFL history but it was at right tackle so nobody's ever going to know about it Right. Um, but it was that like it was that good. His playoff run was the right tackle equivalent of Larry Fitzgerald's 2008 postseason, you know, where he just caught everything for insane numbers for the, the Cardinals. Schwartz did that at right tackle and therefore nobody knew about it. Um, but you could make the case now that with Joe Thomas retired, you know, with a couple of left tackles getting old, Whitworth, Peters, he might be the best tackle in the NFL right now, regardless of side. And I guess that would fairly make him underrated. And then Anthony Costanzo on the other side, he just signed a nice contract. We talked about it during free agency, like, hey, he's probably going to finish his career with the Colts. And when you look at it, I like to just go to his player page in premium stats and just see green every single year. Yeah. Um, 2011 was his worst year. That was his rookie year. Since that point, hasn't graded below 77, 76.9, actually. So every single year between 76.9 and 84.2. So unbelievable consistency at a position that we we just say over and over again we hammer this whole thing like you don't need a joe thomas it's nice to have a joe thomas but if you have one anthony costanzo that you could just bank on every single year that is really incredible he's a good pass blocker he's a good run blocker and you know he's just been good did you uh did you see joe thomas on the titan games yeah i did yeah i looked at i looked at my wife i was like yeah this is the guy that we were challenging in basketball we yeah we knew that we knew that early like we we knew that was coming and it was finally like you know made public and all this sort of stuff but we got to see him you yeah you you idiot challenged that guy to a game of yeah. basketball so it I asked this question on me. Twitter how yeah. far along that course would you have made it before you were just done what was the what's the first um, so like the f- what's first, the first thing part? the first thing was something easy it was like hopping over a hopping over like a wall then you had to lift some sort of Wall I might not make it over the wall. Box. I'm not going to lie. No, just you stop there. I might not wall? make it over the wall. So yeah. that, that's what it was, right? It was like hop over a wall, then flip some giant box, then get on the box. And from there, you have to do some like body weight climb thing. Then uh, you have to lift some. I don't know like why you're still talking. Apparently like a 200 pound log. You're right. You definitely are not making it past the body weight climb deal. So the wall... I, 
I, the I wall don't know could be a I'm challenge. If you couldn't make it over the wall, come on, what are we doing here? How high is the wall? You're seven foot tall. How? What difference does it make? Okay, let's say I make it over the wall. How big is this box you had to flip? You can flip the box. You got that. You, you've got the I power I can flip for that. the box? Okay, then I'm definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. stuck with anything body weight related. Yes, then you're just hanging and dropping. <laughs> I, if I had your this, body weight, I'd have a shot. This is the thing, right? I think there's a sliver of a chance that I make it up the body weight hang climb thing, right? I, I think I got a shot at that, but I'm not making it any further because the next thing was a 200-pound log being carried up a hill. <laughs> not a hope. The best part about this, so you watch Joe. Like, I, as I'm watching it, I was like, wow, Joe, that's just, he's just so patient. It's, it's like being in pass protection, right? right? You don't want to, you don't want to lunge. You just want to let it come to you and be patient. I'm, oh, Joe's been doing this for years. He's patient. He's great. And he just looked so calm throughout the whole thing. And then he tweeted out, he's like, wow, that looked way easier on video than it was right. in real life. I was seeing stars. I was ready to pass out. It was like the most challenging thing I've ever done. And he really did like physically make it look easy the other for, thing is, for the majority of this, it. This dude is 35 years old. He's dealing with like bone on bone in his knees. Like he's a physical wreck compared with what he was like 10 years ago. And he's still like crushing dudes. <laughs> the Titan games thing. And yeah, you, you, the idiot that you are, were like, yeah, we could take him on basketball. To be fair, it didn't take Titan games for uh, for me to realize that was a mistake, it took one handshake with Joe over at the uh, Super Bowl to yes. realize, oh God, this guy is, um, yeah. I mean, it's just nice it's, to see it reinforced though on on TV. It's also funny, right? Like the so Joe Thomas is known as a great pass protector, right? Which I think it's just funny, like where your brain creates these biases because he's a pass protector. That's not like a like when you think of Larry Allen as a mauling guard, you expect In your head, you were like, dude, soft. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe I said on the podcast one time that he was he was soft in 240 and I'd push him around. But oh, God. there's a difference between your perception of like Larry Allen, who's known as the strongest dude to ever play football. You just expect this big monster to this. Oh, look at this pass protecting guard. It's Joe Thomas. He's, you know, light on his feet. He's, you know, he's a dancing uh. bear. Right. And then you shake his hand. He's like, oh, this guy's pretty strong. The funny thing he wasn't was moving people off the ball in the NFL. The guy that he was going up against kept like uh, kept overtaking him, right? Because the the guy yeah. first he like fell off the hang line thing, cost himself however many seconds. Then, then he overtook him again. But then it got to the stage where you have to drag like a three hundred pound ball of concrete with a chain. And this like I don't know how much that guy weighed, but it wasn't what Thomas weighs. So Thomas just grabs yeah. this thing and just starts trucking it, like brings all like overtakes him again. Like again, even if even if you transported me to that part without having done the first part of the course, I don't think I'm dragging the 300 pound ball very far. Yeah, it's the Titan game, Sam. You're not a yeah. Titan. Sorry, I'm not. Can't do I don't it. think I am. All right, uh, interior offensive line. It's uh, more Eagles here. Brandon Brooks and Stefan Wisniewski. I mean, look, people think we more talk Eagles. about Josh Allen and Christian Hackenberg a lot on this show. Stefan yeah. gets more love than all of them. He oh, makes it on every us. show. Yeah, only from us, though. That's what makes him underrated. I'm just saying, our show, we, we, we talk about him all the time. That's how underrated it is. You can only hear his name on the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah, I mean, it summed up easily. He's a starting caliber player that never gets a chance to start unless somebody in front of him gets hurt. So that makes him massively underrated. And then Brandon Brooks was the best offensive lineman in the NFL last year, coming off a torn Achilles. And again, you like... 
the idea that he's on the same level as Quentin Nelson in most people's brains is insane. Like, it's not even a question. And yet he is like right now. So that's a good way of putting it. Right. Because, you know, Quentin Nelson, he's for the rest of his career, he's going to be known as the best offensive lineman in the NFL. Probably he's got the he's got the rep and he backs it up. Uh, but Brandon Brooks, he's, he had a quietly productive career. And then, yeah, absolutely outstanding uh, in, you know, more recently. So not a whole lot of people know about Brandon Brooks, or maybe they only do because of the PFF NFL podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. So the all underrated interior offensive lineman, Brandon Brooks, Stefan Wisniewski. Let's go to the defense. Starting at edge defender. I think there's a clear name in Carlos Dunlap. And then I always ask the question every year, is Cameron Jordan still underrated? <laughs> like if people caught up to Cameron Jordan being really good, because he's awesome. And I just don't know if the public perception is there yet with Jordan. He never has his name up there with the Vaughn Millers and Khalil Max of the world. But production wise, he's he's been there. Yes, absolutely. And I think he is still underrated because when we were putting together this top 50 list, I asked you, you know, were, were Khalil Mack and Von Miller too low? Like had I, the recency bias thing, had I dinged them too much for last year? And you're like, yeah, move them up because they're still better than Cameron Jordan. So even you are hating Cameron Jordan. Even you're underrating him. No, have some nuance here, Sam. You always talk about the nuance of uh, comparison here. He could still be underrated and only be the 20th best player in the NFL right now by our numbers heading into next year. I still think I would take Vaughn Miller or Khalil Mack over those guys, even with uh, down years for both of those guys. I'm still taking them over Cameron Jordan. The, the, the full body of work and what they bring to the table is still better than Cameron Jordan. But Cameron Jordan... Is awesome, and I think the thing I love about him the most is you always we always talk about draft analysis, and you once you see a dude that's 285 pounds, you're like, oh, is he a tweener? He's an interior pass rusher, but Cameron Jordan can rush off the edge. He actually challenges tackles off the edge despite being 285, 290, which on paper shouldn't work very well, yeah. and he does it right. He's either he has the body type of an old school three four defensive end or an interior pass rusher and he's but he plays on the edge and he's still really really productive against tackles yeah the start of his career was kind of weird because he was this three four ed three four end versus four three end sort of tweener and it took him a couple of years to like it looked like he was going to be best in that three four power end kind of role and then suddenly he just became a sort of different player and became stupidly productive as a true edge rusher and a guy who could get pressure every down uh, and almost transform what we thought about it. Yeah, so Cameron Jordan, and then when you look at Carlos Dunlap's career, he's coming off, was it his highest greatest season last year? I think it was. Yeah, I think Let me so. just double check it. Um, Carlos Dunlap, so he's funny because he was a freak coming out of Florida. It was his, yeah, it was his highest, highest grade of his career, highest. Um, he hadn't been up at that level since 2012, but he was an absolute freak coming out of Florida. You're talking about a guy that was that 6'6", 280, ran a 4'6", 40. Um, it was him and Jermaine Cunningham, both at Florida at the same time. And Dunlap was like kind of the underachieving freaky athlete type. Whereas Jermaine Cunningham was like the dependable, productive. You just, you know what you're going to get from Jermaine Cunningham. Like Cunningham showed up on film more at Florida, probably than Carlos Dunlap. And early in their careers, they were both, they were both pretty good. And, but Cunningham fell off the map. With, with New England, he never really rushed the passer at a high level, whereas Dunlap 
has been a solid run defender. He's been an improved run defender in recent years and just consistently good pass rusher uh, pretty much since he entered the league. Never became that like Javon Curse freak. Right. Probably too big. Or Julius Pepper is probably a better size speed comparison. Never became that, but he's just been consistently good. Yeah, and those, again, are the, the players that get perennially underrated, right? I think people generally underrate just being a consistently good player because you're always looking for greatness, right? You're always looking yeah. for the guy that can do that can be special. But just being really good for an extended period of time is an exceptionally difficult thing to do at the NFL level, and those guys, I think, get perennially underrated because of it. Would you put Trey Flowers in this bucket, or do you think because, you know, he got paid, he was a coveted yeah. free agent? I think that contract suggested and maybe that was just a this is a detroit lions belichick tree kind of deal yeah where i know how good that guy is so i'm going to give him the monster money and they were bidding against themselves but that money sort of suggested that hey like the league values him as well as everyone else does as well trey flowers was one of the early pff wins so to speak the first year that we had college data played like a first rounder in college went in the fourth round in that same draft the other guy that played like a first rounder, but went in the fifth round was Grady Jarrett. And I think even even with his big contract going back to Atlanta, still probably underrated here because he has gotten better. You know, to he he went from like, hey, he he's a really good fifth round pick. That's awesome um, to just continuing to improve. He was another guy who started out as an excellent run defender and continued to improve as a pass rusher and a guy that's done it differently right like you think he's the undersized pass rushing three technique but he's done a lot of great work at nose tackle despite not having the on paper body type that you expect i think that's part of the trend here too is when somebody kind of plays a position that you don't expect and they play it really well and he's another one of those players again every year this this group rotates but he's another one of the guys in that conversation to be the the best interior defender in the NFL that is not named Aaron Donald right Donald is off in his own little world of absurdity but every year whether it's Fletcher Cox Cameron Hayward um Calais Campbell when he plays inside Grady Jarrett Chris Jones there's this group that sort of spin around and rotate and fluctuate depend just on the the usual year-to-year fluctuations of, of play, then on any given year, one of those guys is going to be that second-best guy, and Grady Jarrett is in that conversation. One other name to note here is Shelby Harris from the Denver Broncos, a guy that, uh, you know, when he he started his career in Oakland, didn't do much. He goes to Denver, and just the word solid comes to mind, but he had that one year where he graded at 90.4 on only 391 snaps, and those are usually the guys where we say, hey, you gave him 391 snaps. He played that well. Expand his, uh, you know, playing time, right? And they did that last year. Almost doubled his playing time. He didn't perform at the same level, but still really good. And another guy that's solid across the board as far as run defense goes and and uh, and rushing the passer. I think he's a great example of how hard it is to change perception if you play certain positions and you were a seventh round pick or if you were undrafted or whatever. You know, it's just if you're gonna if you if you play on the D line, like unless you get you know, 15 sacks and, and it's obvious that, Hey, we just were way off on this. Like if you're just good and you're, you're a really good run defender and you get a certain amount of pressure, but you're never going to, you know, you're probably never going to be a double digit sack guy because you're a nose tackle. It's just, it's so hard to convince everybody that actually you're way better than that. Um, original interpretation is. So I, I think he's just fighting uphill because the dude is a seventh round pick and it's it just, it's so difficult to change that narrative. 
All right, let's move on to linebacker. Go ahead, Sam. Get your guy in there. Yeah, David Mayo. David Mayo. Look, all he needed was an opportunity. I've told you that since his days playing for the Texas State Bobcats. Um, just needed a shot. Finally got a shot. Crushed it for the Giants. He, he's so underrated that Giants fans get pissed off when I tell them he was good. <laughs> that's, so, that's those how are underrated the fan, he is. Those are the players that always are interesting to me. It's when you... When fan bases don't believe that a guy's good, we get a lot of fan bases who think that their guy is better than we grade, especially quarterbacks and all that stuff, like high profile positions, running backs, all like, this guy ran for 150 yards. You gave him an average grade like we get that all the time. The ones that fascinate me are when fans don't believe us that a guy's good. When Saints fans were mad, at, you know, mad that Zach Streif had a good grade at right tackle. When fans are mad, like, I remember Lance Briggs. Had a good grade one time for the Bears, but he like missed a yeah. run fit one time at the end of a game, and right. people thought that he was terrible because of one run fit. It's like, well, he played fifty eight other plays this game, right? Yeah, um, those are the ones that are that are interesting to me. And here's the thing: so it's also because depending on again, it's the human highlight reel thing, right? Depending on what you're watching for, you'll ignore a lot of stuff. So it's fair to say that Mayo was not very good in coverage last year. On the other hand, that's not really his role there, and he was really good against the run. Um, PFF grades against a run last year for linebackers. Uh, Alexander Johnson, number one. David Mayo, number two, tied with Eric Kendricks for the Vikings, who was an all-pro. Zach Cunningham, who everyone thinks is good. Bobby Wagner was five. Next two, next three, Demario Davis, Luke Keekley, Jalen Smith. These are some very good linebackers. And only Alexander Johnson had a better grade against the run than David Mayo did. But, you know, he did. He missed 10 tackles. So if you're looking at those... You're going to say, oh, the guy's not very good. Look, he missed the tackle here. And his coverage wasn't great. But look, I'm not saying he's the best linebacker in the world or anything. I'm just saying, turns out he's a pretty good starter if you want him as a, you know, two down, which is now a one down type of player. If you're a run-focused linebacker, he's a good player. Um, I'll give you another name to throw in there. It's Jayon Brown from the Tennessee Titans. He, he came out of UCLA, and he kind of, he looked the part of future NFL linebacker that isn't great against the run, kind of like a Deion Jones type. You know, when you stack up the production a few years from now, you're going to say run defense isn't great. Coverage is good. All right. But the coverage part is what really matters. And in, in Brown coming in at six foot two twenty six, you know, another like that's a safe that's safety size. You know, a few years back, that's an oversized safety. That's, you know, the new linebacker in today's NFL got off to a slow start in 2017. But the last two years, eighty four point six coverage grade. Last year, 73 during the regular season. Um, so he's good in the right areas for the Titans. And I think when you have those guys, it's just like this sneaky, valuable piece of your defense because, yeah, he's not he's not great uh, in the run game or taking on blocks. But, you know, he's a guy that you're not he's not David May. He's not coming off the field on third down and you feel good about him being out there and sometimes in a challenging role when you have to cover running backs or cover in space and um Brown is an important part of that that Titans defense. Yeah, all right, I think that's fair. I think uh, Nigel Bradham is the other name that I wanted to throw out there, a guy that I think has been pretty solid consistently across the board. Wasn't he my all-average guy? He's my all-average guy. You can be both, right? You can be both. Yeah, you can be both. You You can can be be both both. average and underrated. Um, Alexander Johnson, who you mentioned, is another name that will be on there, had a bunch of off-field issues that um, I don't know a whole lot about, but he's back. He's back in the NFL after he was a, a very high, he was an awesome true freshman at Tennessee. They had some some issues. He came back and was really good on the field last year. That'll be 
something to keep an eye on if he can keep that up because um, Denver's had a couple players show up on this list and they're one of those teams that they can have a sneaky good season next year, even in the, a tough AFC West uh, at cornerback. Some names here. You immediately typed in JC Jackson when we were putting this list together. Patriots outside corner. Yeah. Um, JC Jackson's numbers in coverage are absurd. Like in his, not just like last year, but in his career, they're absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, now, He's obviously aided by the fact that Stephon Gilmore is the the obvious number one um, in that defense, and therefore he gets the sort of Troy Hill boost, right? the The idea of you're constantly in a you constantly don't have necessarily the hardest role in the defense because that goes to Gilmore. Um, but he does, you know, he still has to hold up his end of the bargain, and his end of the bargain has been pretty spectacular. Like for his career so far, his completion rate is forty six percent. That's not anything below 50% is crazy for a cornerback. He's at 46 for his career. The passer rating he's allowed is 32, which, as we all know, Steve, is lower than if the ball had just been thrown at the turf every single play. Just like it. His grade isn't quite as good because there have been some misses in there that weren't necessarily great coverage. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the data points flatter him a little bit, but the data points are absolutely nuts. Like on deep targets, He's been he's the deep got, target numbers are different world. I, I didn't see the last time I saw them late last season. It was like two for 30 or something ridiculous. Right. I, mean, I don't know what what it what it is right now. I haven't fired it up just just yet. So are you yeah, going to do that? I'm going to do that right now. I'll throw the uh, the deep target filter on the data that I already had. And yeah, he has been targeted 33 times deep and has allowed three catches. There you um, go. So he's allowed three, three first downs on deep targets, and he has seven interceptions. I think it's six because one of them was <laughs> nullified. Uh, I haven't thrown the no plays on there. But yeah. um, I think it's six, like it's six picks, six interceptions on deep targets, and three catches given up. Like his numbers are absolutely insane. And I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's just because Stephon Gilmore is getting you know, all of the ink, but I'm not sure why that level of – shutdown is not getting more recognition yeah i think jc jackson's a good one and i think to your point too like the number two corner might have an easier job especially in a system that matches up well but how many number two corners have we seen that just get torched like it doesn't matter who's on the other side they don't hold up their end of the bargain to your point like they just get smoked it's like oh you've got richard sherman on the other side or you've got darrell revis on the other side why can't you handle the lesser receiver where you are, um, what makes New England secondary so difficult to, to play against is the fact that J.C. Jackson plays well. Jason McCourty has played well. Like They've played well across the board, even beyond Stephon Gilmore, who's been spectacular. And that's why, you know, again, you can be on the all-average team and the all-underrated thing. I think Prince of Mukamara would, would have a case for this, right? We, despite the fact that I maintain he is like a bang, slap bang in the middle average cornerback, he consistently also gets because dumped. he's above average he's above average we, he consistently just gets booted off teams you know it's like we don't that's not valuable we don't need that it's like having a guy that you know will be that solid every single year is a really valuable thing the the name we missed for the all average team that is going to make our all underrated team right here though is steven nelson with the steelers i mean you called it what'd you call him coming out of college he was the chaperone right oh no it wasn't that was. I thought it was Nelson. 
No, that was the who was the dude that played for the Jets for years. I might have I thought compared was, him to him. I thought it was Steven Nelson. Um, You're gonna make me go look at who the hell sorry. that was. But you know how I always, t- you know how I always talk about Matt, you know players don't progress like it's Madden. They don't just get better every single year. Well, Steven Nelson's grades are just like steps every single year. Fifty nine up to sixty four, up to sixty nine, up to seventy two, up to last year's. Uh, career high 80 grade. So Steven Nelson continues to get better. Um, when he was in Kansas city in 2018, they're in a man heavy scheme. He gave up 960 yards. That's a lot of yards, but he was attacked in man coverage and attacked down the field often still only gave up 53% into his coverage on 128 targets, including the playoffs. So that's why he gave up so many yards. Um, so Nelson, again, I think if you're talking about a number two type of corner, I mean, this is the type of guy that you want, a guy that's not going to get absolutely torched and can hold his own, you know, for the most part. I think that's Nelson. Um, Kyle Wilson was the guy that was the wide receiver chaperone. That's now, what you said about Wilson. And yeah. I think you, I think you used it for Nelson. In the, well, it's, in, so it's in entirely possible that I compared Nelson to Kyle Wilson, but that was my thing. Like Kyle Wilson was a wide receiver chaperone. He would always be half a yard behind his intended receiver and Kyle given up plays because of it. Yeah, and then you're pretty much at the mercy of the quarterback's accuracy, which, again, I think is why defense – it's why coverage stats in general are unstable because you're at the mercy of the uh, the quarterback actually making the throw. Uh, and then Kawan Williams. I like that. That's a good one. Very underrated slot corner in the that's NFL. One, He's been good with, that's, with the Browns, with the Niners. That's one that we need to check the pronunciation on. I think I, I think a lot of people are calling that – K1 Williams. Oh, K1. I think so. Sorry. Look, I am the pronunciation police over here. So, well, yeah, the the more it's you saying it, the more I'm pretty sure we've got it wrong. K1 made one of the greatest pass breakups I think I've ever seen. It was against uh, old friend Ryan Mallett and maybe 2015 when Mallett was starting for the, for the Texans and Mallett made a great throw. And usually in the PFF system, if you throw a pass that doesn't get to your receiver's hands, most of the time you're not getting a, a positive grade for it. You're like, well, the, the play didn't beat the coverage, right? You're not going to get a positive for it. This was one of the few times where this pass didn't actually get to the receiver's hands where I was like, that was a perfect throw and just a way better play in coverage. It was a corner route. It was about to drop right into his receiver's hands and Williams jumped up and over like the pass location was perfect. Like most pass breakups, it's like, you know, it's there and it gets broken up. He went, up and over the receiver to get it. And it was like, I, I think that's a great throw and just a better defensive play. That was K1 Williams. Um, all good slot corners are immediately going to become overrated. Whether even Chris Harris is still probably un, uh, underrated in, at this point in his career. Nikel Roby Coleman, there's a bunch of them. But K1 is up there. Safety. Did I adjust nicely? Yeah, it was Safety. Good. Um on the website that we had, we had uh, in the article that we wrote, we wrote Micah Hyde as the Buffalo Bills' most underrated player. I think that's perfect. Yeah, and Hyde's really I good. Think, and Justin Reed has been really underrated for the Houston Texans. I think Reed coming out of Stanford, he played a challenging role at Stanford where he was covering the slot a lot, and you just don't want him to cover the slot. But he he was one of those guys who just flashed free safety range and too high safety range, and that's exactly what he's what he's done at the NFL level. He's made a lot of plays on the ball for the Texans and even just using war 
one of the most valuable safeties in the NFL over the last few years. Yeah, Micah think, Hyde. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think generally safety is a position. Eh, I don't know if safety, it's hard for safeties. Safety, I think, is one of those positions a little bit like offensive line that tends to be name-driven or um, splash play driven or, you know, driven off something other than like down to down consistency of play. Yeah. Um, so a lot of safeties struggle to get that kind of recognition. Whereas guys like Earl Thomas or, you know, the, the, the established names are always going to be seen as the best safeties in the NFL. Like, um, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, first round pick goes to Pittsburgh, makes some splash plays. Now people are saying Minka Fitzpatrick is the best safety in the NFL. Like, Mika Fitzpatrick has made some plays and had some really good play, but he is not yet in the ballpark of the conversation of guys like Harrison Smith or Anthony Harris, even, in terms of sample size players that have had incredible play. Like, he just hasn't had that. He hasn't shown that yet. So he Harris might get be. there, but he isn't yet. Harris could be a guy. Yeah. I, I think round, like if Malik Hooker had a few, a few more flash plays, people would have him in that conversation. I think because of the first round pedigree and yep. because the safety, like to your point there, it's, that is the ultimate highlight real position. They're just not on the field enough. I think the classic underrated safeties though, are the Devin McCourty's and Adrian Amos's of the world, because they are the guys who are just safe safeties. They don't miss tackles a whole lot. They don't bust coverages. They don't make a ton of plays on the ball usually. And they don't play. They also don't play the most challenging roles. Like it's, you don't see, Amo McCordy has had times in his career where he's had to go up and man man up against a tight end every now and again. But most of the time they're just playing deep and it's like, just don't screw up. And uh, McCordy, but, but at doing when they do that, McCordy and Amos are two of the best. Yep. There you go. It's the all underrated team per the PFF do, uh, NFL podcast. We're going to wrap this up with some questions. Yeah, let's go. Let's fly through some questions. Rapid fire questions here, Sam. What do we have? Rapid fire. You want So I like the last one. The last question, which teams would you most want to take over as GM? Because you can I go like a bunch of different answered, ways with this. I thought we answered this a few weeks ago. I don't think we did. Okay. If we did, I don't so, remember doing it. Do you want, is this just for me as the GM candidate, or do you get to answer too? Uh, I'll answer as well, but let me hear your pitch. It's for both of us. Um, I want to go to Jacksonville. How hard could it be in the I AFC South? Jacksonville. I want to go to Jacksonville. I want to get the Jaguars back to their glory days. I want so that's to get the thing, back. Right? Yeah. You can go a couple of different ways with this, right? You can either take the glorious, you know, what gives me the most credit as turning around this institution, at which point you probably want, like, the Jags would be a good one. Obviously, you want to get them back to the Mark Brunel, the Jimmy Smith days. Um, but there's also the Browns, you know, take anybody fixing the Browns yeah. be, immediately becomes one of the greatest front office executives in NFL history, at least by folklore. So you've got that working for you. But the other way is like, which, what is the most like idiot proof situation to land in? Which point you want the chiefs because you have Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> no, there's something too. So I think in my, in my team builder mentality, I don't want to go to a place that has the quarterback. I want to kind of figure that out. I want to figure out that piece of the puzzle um, or even just going to like, or you could say Seattle, and say, okay, we've got that piece. I, I know I've got Russell Wilson paid. I'll, I'll continue to pay him. Let me put all my effort into everything around him, and how would I do this? I think Seattle would be tempting. I think New England would be tempting. Like if Belichick reti when Belichick retires, 
that's like taking over the Madden, Madden franchise. Yeah, that's insane. Right? You don't want to. You don't want to follow Belichick. That's lunacy. No, my thing is you let him fail for a couple of years with Stidham, right? And then you swoop back in and, and get the the Patriots back to. You think his star is going to dim enough in a couple of years before he retires for you to be able to sweep back in and not look like a, a moron by comparison? He'll, build, he'll still be a star, but like one six and ten season. Like if they have a six and ten season this year, the discussion is oh Belichick's over the hill. He needs Brady. He's this. He's that. He's not having one of the top picks. You don't have Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Like what's the future like in New England? And the Palazzola rides in, saves that place. I'll find the quarterback. Yeah, I I mean, you have some pretty impressive and clearly misplaced self-confidence when it comes to <laughs> what you think you can achieve with this. I do not want any I, if I can eliminate the toughest question in the in the game, like finding the quarterback, I'm eliminating that immediately and fixing everything else. You give me Patrick Mahomes or Seattle's a good one, Russell Wilson, I'll take that. You give me an absolutely cast iron, dead set, no problem quarterback situation. And I will assemble the Super Bowl roster around that human. That's how you're going to do it, huh? All right. Yes. Taking the easy way out. Plus, give me Dallas. Give me Dallas in the limelight. Dallas wouldn't be a bad one. I'm going to take Jerry Jones, his job. Well, also, yeah, if you do that, does that come with the added perks of being the Dallas GM, the owner as well? Because if I get a bus and a yacht and a billion dollars, I'll take that job first. I want the bus and the yacht, so give me uh, give me Dallas. What else do you like as far as these questions that have come in through the uh, Twitter machine here? Uh, and we can go with the Rosen one. Honestly, I don't will, like the other ones. Right? Will Josh Rosen ever get another shot at being a starter in the league? No, and I, like not unless people get hurt. Yeah, his I, only shot is injury at this point. Yeah, that's it. I, I think the thing I say on this pod, I, the same thing I repeat every single week. The NFL's deep at quarterback. Marcus Mariota is a backup quarterback right now. You know, when, when Marcus Winston. Cam Newton isn't even a sign. Andy Dalton is a backup yeah. quarterback. Like, you're not, no. Now, they're probably better. Like, if you were just ranking quarterbacks, Mariota, Winston, Jameis are probably better than a few current starters, including a couple guys in the AFC East, maybe oh, three. No. Two Bears starting quarterbacks. Like, they're better than some of them. But just for perspective, what every year when you're putting together quarterback ranks, I think Mar- Cam Newton for us lands around the top 50. And some people think he's always perennial top eight or 10. Mariota and Winston have been anywhere from like 15 to 22. I don't think they've dropped that far beyond that. And those guys don't have starting jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you do take out some of the bottom end starters, you would insert the guys that are already comfortably ahead of Josh Rosen and Rosen still on the outside looking in so I, th- I think it would take to your point injury and then him going on a run that you know made a team think hey this will be the he could be our guy going forward yeah i mean injury is the only way he ever even gets another start in the nfl whether he gets another starting job because those are two different things depends on how he would do yeah. when he gets that start that opens up through injury like he would have to get the shot then play well enough to convince somebody else that he's a better option than in whatever available starters right there. I mean, it looks like an incredibly small window of opportunity for him if it ever materializes. All right, I like these other questions. Let's do it quickly. The, uh, Nick Russell's trying to troll us here. Which sport has more applicable lessons to football, rugby or baseball? Mm. 
I think it's close. You have to lean rugby just because of the shape of the ball, right? And the, the fact that you run with the ball. Yeah, that's shape it. Of the ball. Shape of the that's ball, the and you run, with, you run with the ball in rugby, similar to football. Therefore, there's probably more lessons there. Yeah, okay. But I have more baseball stories, so that evens things out. Um, and then Connor Lee asks, if we graded or gave Ward to players at the same position in different eras, essentially, would we change anything? Um, we've actually had to make this decision just grading the NFL and then going to college and then actually grading high school. Do we change anything? And I think the beauty of the system is to not change anything, but let the data interpret it differently. So, for instance, I always use Marino, right? Like if we went back and graded Marino in 84, he almost certainly breaks our big time throw record. Maybe not as a percentage, but like maybe as a percentage and as a total. Like we've I don't think we've seen maybe like we've maybe have seen a couple years with like 50 big time throws, including the playoffs. Marino might have been at 60 to 70 that particular year or at various years in his career. But he also probably would have had a ton of turnover worthy throws as well. So we wouldn't necessarily grade them the same way, but you'd look at the era and you can adjust for the era, but the grade stays the same. Um, I also, you know, part of the reason why I think the run game doesn't uh, isn't as dominant in the NFL is because the uh, talent levels tighter, right? Like we don't give out a ton of huge block, like individual block grades in the NFL because it just, it's tough to move a 300 pounder, you know, 10 yards off the ball. The plus 1.5 block in our world almost never happens in the NFL, but it exists. It exists in high school where you have like five star recruit against a 200 pounder and he's, you know, blowing him off the ball over and over again. It's this plus 1.5. So like the scale and the system plays at different levels and different eras, but the distribution might be different because of the talent and skill level and all these different adjustments that you have to make. Wow, you really weren't interested there at all. No, I, I just, I, I can't. I don't. I have no interest in that question. It's much like you and the officiating thing. How can oh, you so- not? How can you not care no. about the officiating? Thanks for tuning in. We have to go. I'm the host. The NFL. We're not. The NFL has rejected. They've backed off the Sky Judge. The Sky Judge proposals. The AAF. The XFL. Rugby. They've all had this Sky Judge or TMO, a way of a dude in the booth that gives you better officiating. How can you not care that the officiating is not going to improve? I just don't care. I don't care about. I don't care about what's a catch and what's not a catch. You I don't, don't care, care about the pass interference. Like from a podcast standpoint, I don't care. I don't want to have a one-on-one discussion with you about Sky Judges. I don't want to talk about what's a catch and what's not a catch. What's pass interference? What should be pass interference? Whether it should be reviewed. Are they overdoing it? Are they underdoing it? I, I, I'm just not interested for more than maybe 30 seconds. And you, this was we, you know, we every week we put our notes together. Hey, what do you want to talk about this week? And the first thing you put in is the officiating and the sky judge. I know it's late May and there's nothing to talk about, but I just I'm not interested. I think it's absolutely absurd that they're not going with this. This is like one of the two slam dunk things that the new leagues brought in was clearly successful, was useful, has been useful everywhere else. And the NFL has gone, no, we're going to dump the ability to review pass interference plays and we're not going to have a sky judge. And we're just going to go back to the way it was when everybody wanted it to be changed because it was bad. Like I've heard people make the argument before that like controversial calls, officiating calls, are actually good for your league because, you know, it generates interest, generates controversy, 
talk and that's dollars and that's intrigue and all that kind of stuff. Like if your game needs that, your game sucks. So stop thinking that football needs that. It doesn't. Let's just get the officiating better. It's never going to be perfect, but that doesn't mean you stop trying to make it better. I'm done now. You can you can move on. Great. I mean, look, this is your this is your platform. You're fifty percent of the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, not size wise. You're like thirty percent of it, but 30. still, yeah, that's not true. Thirty percent. Um, I, I got to let you have your piece, right? You let me talk about historical grading and in my uh, my passion, PFF grading and proving how great it is, and your passion talking about. Um, idiot officiating and sky judges and stuff so i think i'm i'm like 40 percent of the podcast sideways size wise well, we'll right, let if we're like 500 guys, together we'll let the math guys figure that out that's got to run by eric and his uh yeah well he's, he's obviously got to run through our numbers but would you use speaking, r or python here for this definitely an r guy yeah um, guy if we're if we're like 500 pounds together I'm, I'm close to 40 percent of that would you use weight or height Weight. weight. I'm way weight. closer if we use height. Like in terms of percentage, like weight is like weight is where you generate the the value add. You're yeah, bringing a hundred extra pounds to the party. You only bring in like whatever what it am is, I? ten extra inches. What do you think I am? Weight wise? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the day. But you're pushing I'm like two five. I'm listed on the internet at two sixty. Okay, well, let's add the 25 internet. pounds worth of uh, retirement weight to that. About 20, maybe 20. <laughs> what are you now? And honestly, my playing weight was about 277. Right. So what so are you I'm now? Pretty you... Cl- 280. I'm about close to my playing weight. 277? My playing weight was probably about 270. I'm 10 pounds beyond my playing weight. You're only 280 right now. Yeah, it fluctuates between 277 and like 282 right now. Huh. Last okay. week or so. All right. We do, did our workout. We did our workout today. Today was the first day when I did a jump. I hit my head on the ceiling today. Doing some of your our, head on. What did you yeah, do? I'm usually do very. I jumped, obviously, part of our the workout. You with don't my have wife. the vertical leap to put your head in through the ceiling. It's a low. It's not a high ceiling. Oh, so I, I thought my I thought you'd it, actually been improving your vertical. No, I think quarantine. it's improving because I you haven't hit my head. A lower ceiling. I haven't hit my head yet, so. Good for the basketball career that we can't, you know, pursue. So anyway, that's been great. What a great podcast. May 28th here, 2020. It's the all underrated team. We'll be back on Monday. Will the uh, top 50 be unveiled on Monday morning? Is that right? No, it's going to be it's coming out on Tuesday. So we'll have to decide when we want to do the podcast episode about it. We could do it on Monday, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, we could do that. Um, anyway, so here's the here's the deal. Sam's it's really it's it's both of our passion projects, but Sam has put a ton of time into this. Uh, what's going to be a Randy Moss episode here? Um, so mm. tell the fans about what we have going on, what the plan is, and what they're about to hear. Do not leave. You have to hear this. It's it, yeah. it gives me chills. Okay. Um, yeah, they, we've created this podcast series. We want to run it during the off season, whatever off season gets left to us by the time we actually get them completed, potentially even extend them beyond. Like if the people like it enough, we can keep doing this. There's no end of interesting topics to tackle. The first one we're doing is, is an oral history of Randy Moss, rookie Randy Moss, 1998 comes in, just sets the league on fire, breaks it. Um, we've talked to a bunch of guys, some, some players 
that were playing for the Vikings in 98. We've talked to a few different people and we're going to have a whole, we've, we've created this podcast episode about it and we're going to have a bunch of them. Um, you're working on one. What's, what's the one you're working on, Steve? Uh, 2000 Ravens. Okay. Going to go back. The greatest and, uh, defenses of all time. Yeah. But the whole um, team too, right? Trent right. Dilfer is always called the worst Super Bowl quarterback of all time. The whole team of 2000 Ravens, I think will be, uh, will be a good story. Eric is working on one about, you know, this, these failed football leagues, the AAF, the U, the XFL, the USFL. If you go back far enough, um, that sounds really interesting. The one, the next one of my sites is this Joe Montana versus Steve Young dynamic. But anyway, we've got a whole list of these. We're going to keep taking along on them. But the first one that's going to be completed and it's going to be posted will be this Randy Moss one. And we have a couple of minutes worth of uh, teaser that we'll play you out with here. See you guys next week. The most intriguing story of the day will be the wide receiver for Marshall, Randy Moss, who I did not see right there. What happens with him? Well, the off-the-field concerns certainly are there. Not on the field, of course, that Marshall dominated the Mid-American Conference. Those 44 touchdowns really stick out. He was a man among boys when you talk about how he dominated cornerbacks in the MAC. But those off-the-field concerns are really as a wide receiver. He still has to develop the skills, getting off press covers, route running. But for Pro Bowl talent... He may be a man among boys, as you say. The Minnesota Vikings have selected wide receiver from Marshall University, Randy Moss. I, I, I remember literally thinking, this isn't going to be fair. And it took about, oh, I would say, halfway through the first practice. Most of guys realized uh, when he was at full speed, you know, what he was, what he was capable of. When you talk about big plays, the name that comes to mind is Randy Moss. Yeah, and there are receivers in the National Football League that have his size and his speed and his jumping ability, but I have never seen anyone that has all three like Randy Moss has. There are going to be nightmares for quarterbacks in the NFL when they go up against Randy Moss. Now, the Chicago Bears tonight are going to challenge this guy. What I mean by that is they're going to put two people on him. See how tough he really is. They're going to pump him and be physical with him at the line of scrimmage. Randy Moss just got rid of Paul Harris. To be honest with you, I thought getting up in his face might be a way to stop him a little bit. But I'm not convinced there's any way now. Teams were never really able to stop him. You can definitely tell that he had uh, some type of ability that was above and beyond, which was a normal guy coming in with the other Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long 
to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.